Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Cron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I'm joined by John Kasman, who has a corporate background in marketing and has leveraged that skill set to scale up his multifamily real estate investing business. I know you'll get a ton of value from this interview, so I'm really excited to jump into it. So, John, welcome to the show, man. Marcus, thank you for having me on today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's it's an honor to have you on, John. I mean, I've listened to a lot of your content. I know you're putting out a lot of great stuff out there with your your podcast, Target Market Insights. So yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on the show here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad you're enjoying the show and getting some good value out of it. And uh, hopefully we can deliver that same kind of value for your listeners today. Oh, I know. I know we will. I know you will, John. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to give a brief introduction on John. So my audience knows who you are if, if they haven't already heard your, some of your content already. But John founded Kasman Capital Group after realizing many busy professionals needed the benefits of real estate investing, but did not have the desire to become a landlord. He has helped families invest in over $90 million in multifamily apartments to create generational wealth impact. He hosts the Target Market Insights podcast and is the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. As a marketing executive, he held budget and campaign accountability for Fortune 500 companies, including General Motors and Miller Coors. So yeah, you've got an extensive background there, John. It's really great seeing how you've uh, you utilized that into your multifamily investing business. But uh, I really want to let you kind of tell your story a little bit a little bit before we kind of jump into that marketing background. Uh, tell tell us how you know you initially had your starter. What 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 got you into real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the the shorter version of the story is, you know, like many people, um, you know, we always are looking for ways to make money, right? And most of us are told, go to college, get a good job, work that job until you retire. You know, generation is a little older than me, they got a pension. So they were incentivized to work that job for 25, 30, 35 years, retire, and then sail off into the sunset. Um, the reality is, is that that pathway just is the same for most of us now between pensions being virtually eliminated for any new employee, um, you know, 401ks really being the main thing that you can do to take care of yourself in retirement. And, and here in America, you know, we have Social Security, which many of us are not planning to still have that around by the time we reach retirement age. So that pathway just isn't the same as it used to be for previous generations. And I think what became very clear to me as I entered into corporate America, you know, my timing was a little more than 10, you know, about 13, 14 years ago to the point where I got into the job that was supposed to be the job, right? I mean, I was doing some advertising jobs and then I got a job with General Motors and it was the kind of job people expect to stay at for the rest of their career. Most of those people are what we call lifers. You work there until you retire. And I was there, but I started there in 2007. So for anyone who's freaking out about freaking out about, you know, what we're going through right now with the coronavirus outbreak at the time of this recording, you know, there's a lot of similarities to what was going on back in 2008, 2009. And at that time, I watched a lot of my colleagues lose their job. So that vision, that dream of financial freedom and being able to, you know, work this job 
uh, and retire, it evaporated immediately. And for me, what became really important was having another source of income where I was going to be taken care of no matter what happened with my day job. So starting to look into real estate became a very important thing. And that's really the moment where I decided to lock in and build a real estate portfolio. All right. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, John. Um, so it sounds like you were looking for that alternative, a way to, to build wealth, generate income, have all those good things so you could have something that you could you know, rely upon rather than just getting a pension or something like that or your, your, your uh, company providing you or the government providing for you in your, in your retirement. So what was it that, you know, as you started looking for alternative investments or a way to build, build wealth, what, what was it that hooked you on real estate or, or initially got you thinking that way? Well, there are a couple things. One, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad while I was in college. And I mean, it's just a strong book. I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of it. If you haven't read the book, it, it still holds up. It's still a pretty good book to read and, and check out and just understand at a high level. And for me, the thing that made real estate appealing was real estate seemed plausible. You know, I wasn't a, a great tech person. I wasn't very artistic. So when you start talking about passive income or additional income streams, I didn't see another avenue that made sense. I didn't want to just exchange hours for dollars and, you know, do other things. But investing in real estate was something that just made sense at a fundamental level. You know, living in apartments, I lived in apartments most of my life. So understanding, you know, people have to pay rent. And as long as the rent is more than the expenses, then the, the rest is left over for profits from my pockets, right? So that kind of made sense. And if you can do third grade or fourth grade math, you can probably be a real estate investor. You know, it really doesn't take that much work um, from a mental standpoint as far as, you know, trying to come up with something or be super creative. It's not really about creativity, though it helps. It really is more about understanding supply and demand, understanding, you know, the, the delta between, you know, what rents are currently, what you think you may be able to get for rents and what the expenses are. So that was really intriguing. The thing that made it really easy for me was I was still renting at that time. So instead of just buying a, a single family house, I went out and I bought a small multifamily property. I bought a duplex. I lived in one unit and I rented out the other. And that was an easy way for me to transition into multifamily. And I tell people all the time, if you're looking to get into multifamily, that's a great way to test the waters, get your feet wet, you'd be a landlord a little bit as well. And you'll start to understand when you start receiving those rent checks, you really start to understand the power of, you know, being a real estate investor, receiving some rental income and reducing your bills in half. It just makes life a lot easier to start scaling and growing your portfolio. Yeah. And you had a lot of great points there from, you know, being attracting or attracted to real estate because of let's call it the simplicity. Like everybody understands it to, to an extent. They all have a roof over their head. They're all paying rent or they're paying a mortgage. And it makes sense. And you're seeing it constantly on TV, whether it be a fix and flip house uh, show or whatever it is. Like there's always some people that are kind of attracted to real estate. And the thing I like, I love about it is there's so many levers that you can pull and so many metrics that can be generating you wealth from the, the income, from the, uh, the debt pay down to the appreciation. And there's so many so many ways that you can build wealth through that. So, um, and you mentioned here, I want to, I want to, you know, dig into this a little bit, but uh, uh, share your story a little bit about how you made that transition from, you know, a duplex and then uh, scaling your way up to multifamily into syndications. Like a lot of people think like, well, they have to play in that playground a little bit of being into single family and then, oh, I got to get comfortable enough 
to get into multifamily, but can you tell a little bit about your story about how you made that transition or how you even learned about syndications? So, I mean, the first thing was, you know, before I even bought that duplex, I was spending a lot of time at RIAs, right? So real estate investor association groups and most cities, most places, they have a local RIA. So you could spend some time around those and talk to other people. And just by meeting people who have real portfolios, it opens up your mind and open up your eyes. You know, I spent a lot of time reading books as well. And the problem I had with the books was, it just it still didn't feel tangible. I didn't know anyone who was doing it. I didn't see anyone who was doing it. So it just felt like a book, you know? But when I went to the RIA and I could talk to Gary, who actually had a, you know, 150 unit portfolio, well, I can talk to Gary and I can ask Gary questions about how he built that portfolio and where is it at and, you know, understanding the numbers. And it just made it real for me. It made it really tangible. So that was enough to get the two unit. And then from the two unit, that did so well for us that we continue to save our money. We bought a three unit building. Um, so after the three unit building, we continue to save money and we bought an eight unit building. But at that moment, we realized that our game plan had some flaws to it. We had bought three properties. We had invested, I mean, geez, that last one I think was 120 or $130,000 of our own money that we had saved, right? And we had just had our second child at that point. So we just knew it wasn't sustainable to keep saving six figures to go invest in real estate. There had to be a way that allowed us to scale and to grow without waiting a year or a year and a quarter until we had the money to buy the next property. So that's when we started to learn about other strategies that people were employing, asking more questions. We went to the RIA groups and ultimately we discovered other people's money or working with investors. Uh, even at that time, I, don't, I still don't think I was looking at it as syndication. It was just a matter of if I could find one investor who could bring half the money, you know, that would make life a little bit easier when I, I could only go six months as opposed to a full year. And um, ultimately ended up meeting someone who was, working with investors at a higher scale. He had raised a million dollars for a deal he had, did re he had did recently. And I ended up hiring him as a coach and a mentor to help us figure out what we needed to do in order to start attracting capital for the deals that we were doing. No, that's great. And there's, there's a lot of info that you shared there um, that, that's really important. And I, I feel the same way. Like I remember this, it all seems so elusive. Like it, it, it's not attainable. I mean, I remember, I mean, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad years ago as well. And kind of getting that mindset and then oh like getting attracted to real estate and kind of um, reading the books listening to the podcasts um, but it never really seemed real it's like well who 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 are these people doing this and how are they doing it and and it, are they just writing about this topic and because it's an intellectual uh, you know uh, journey for them but and then you but you, you get around the right people you go to these networking groups and, and you share what you're learning and what other people are doing and you kind of like learn and you go along this journey with them and you surround yourself with the right people and you're like holy cow like there's there's people doing this and they're making making uh you know good income they're they're building wealth and they're doing deals so um i think that's really important to surround yourself with the right people and uh you know learning and and, and uh continuing to grow but and you highlighted a port an important point there about the single family it kind of becomes uh, hard to scale right it becomes a point in time where it's like well this isn't as efficient as it could be and it's not as scalable as I thought. You're going to run out of your own money at some point, and you're going to have to start looking for that elusive OPM or other people's money. So syndications uh, allow for you to attract capital and work with passive investors that don't necessarily 
want to be in deals directly, like managing the deal, but want to rely on a, a skilled operator to, to manage a deal effectively. So really great. Thanks for sharing that, John. I really want to move on to now your, your, your marketing background and how you've leveraged that, uh, because I think that skill set that you bring really has allowed you to scale a business. So can you talk about your marketing background and how that has brought success to your real estate investing career? Yeah, absolutely. So from a corporate standpoint, when I was at General Motors, that's what I was doing, right? I was doing advertising and marketing and coming up with campaigns and um, really doing some fun things, you know, everything from, you know, Super Bowl campaigns and activations to New Year's Eve things to launching vehicles and overseeing a $100 million budget. And when I started to transition more into multifamily, I really didn't see an overlap. You know, when you start talking about working with investors and and, you know, pulling together capital for deals, you know, there's obviously some overlap, but not really a whole lot. I felt most of the overlap was actually on the project management side of things. That is until I realized that marketing for any business is really about leads, right? It's all about attracting new leads. It's all about your sales funnel or your consumer journey and understanding where the pain points are for that consumer or that investor and how you can help them. So once I kind of reframed the situation and really understood it from uh, a marketing perspective, then everything flowed naturally. It was everything I've been doing for the last 15 years, helping to build brands, helping to work with influencers to grow their influence and grow their audience. And all these things became natural. So there are a couple of things that jumped out from a marketing standpoint. First and foremost, when you talk about attracting capital, that's really about investors, right? Well, why would an investor work with you? Well, the first thing is they have to know who the heck you are. You know, how would they get to know you? And I looked at my investor network starting out. And I didn't have a huge database of millionaires who were ready to just give me all their money for deals, right? And that was something that could really stop most people because most people say, well, hey, I don't, I don't know people who have money to invest or would want to invest with me. And even if they did, you know, maybe there's something else that I don't know where I wouldn't feel comfortable asking them for that money. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons you don't have more people who are looking to connect is they're scared. And I will tell you that there's really five things, and I call them the five C's, that it takes to raise capital and really leverage marketing for deals. Okay, the first one is confidence. You know, confidence comes from putting in the work, you know, understanding the deals, understanding what the game plan is going to be, but really getting comfortable, really studying all your stuff. So confidence is not something you can get overnight, but confidence comes from putting in the work. So you have to be confident. The second thing is you have to be credible. So that credibility, if you don't have that in your own experience, you need to put a team together or other people around you who do have that credibility that you're going to partner with. So you are really credible. If you are confident without being credible, you're just cocky. You know, and it, there's no other way around it. And that's not somebody you ever want to be in business with. So you want to be confident. You want to be credible. The next thing is you need connections. You need to know people. And if you don't have them in your network already, you need to find ways to bring people into your network. Fourth thing is care. People are not going to invest with you if they don't think you care about them and their money and their investments. So you absolutely have to have care. And then the last thing is consistency. And if you're going to do something, if you're building a business for this, if you want to you know, bring money together for deals, then you're going to have to be consistent. People want to know that you are dependable, that you're reliable, and that you are going to be there for them. If you're here one day, but not the next day, or you're, you know, you don't show up every single day, or they can't see a track record for you, then they're not going to feel comfortable investing with you. So those five things will really make it much easier for you to attract capital for your deals. 
No, that was awesome. Really, really appreciate you sharing that. I, I've never actually heard the five C's. So that was, that was great. I'll definitely that's make a note sweet, of that. And that's why you never heard it. I made it up. Was that? That's uh, this trademark. That's why. Okay. Tra- I, but I haven't even heard you talking about it on your show or any year, but yeah. uh, no, that's, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Um, really appreciate you sharing that. Um, so, you know, given in the time that we live in where uh, having a web presence and social media allows, allows us to really build our network and build a presence or brand ourselves, um, could you talk about how you've utilized social media and maybe some tips that uh, our, my audience could learn on how they might be able to grow their network? So, you know, when it comes to really trying to build your audience and building your brand, I think the first mistake many people make is they focus on themselves. You know, it really is not about you and what you do, who you are, any of that. People don't care about you. They really don't. No one cares a crap about you. They don't care a crap about me. That's just how the world is. People care about themselves. So when you are trying to build a brand, what you have to do is figure out who do you help? What's your, what's your value proposition? Who do you help? Who are, who's your product for? Who's your service for? And really talk to them. Identify that group and then talk to them and give them value. Share how you can help them, help educate them, help entertain them. And if you're creating content for that individual, that's how you're going to be able to scale and grow your brand. So as an example, um, and now this even ties back to, to working with investors, but if you're focused on what you want and what you need, it's going to be very difficult to get that. But if you're focusing on what they want and what they need, the path is going to be a much easier for you to drive that conversion. So as an investor, if you understand what they're looking for, maybe it's cash flow. Maybe it is, um, you know, big appreciation down the road. So maybe they're willing to take more risk. But if you understand what the key things they're looking for, it's going to be easier for you to frame or to structure a conversation and highlight the key things that are in a deal that are going to appeal to them. So when it comes to content, it's the same thing. You know, what kind of things do they need? You know, for me, I always put myself in the same position as my investors because I felt like I went through the same trajectory where, you know, we were investing, we were doing all the right things, we were busy professionals, and we were sacrificing and sacrificing and doing all these things. And it was really hard to figure out how to scale and how to take the next step. And even as we learned about syndication, uh, it was really hard to find real concrete information out there about syndication, about what a deal looks like. So one of the things that we created was we created a sample deal that we put on our website that would allow other people to get a sense of what a deal actually looks like. And it could just be the deal package because whether you're an active investor and you want to do your own deals, but you don't know what the split should be, or you don't know, you know, what to put in a, a marketing presentation or what to highlight about a deal, you know, it's hard to find something like that without getting on an operator's email list. But even then it's like, you're, you're looking at real live deals and it's hard to understand, you know, um, what's good, what's not good, what you should be concerned with. Um, and you're not going to be able to ask an operator questions like that if you're not seriously considering investing in a deal. But with the sample deal, it's open and you can look at it and you can ask questions and you can get into it a little bit more. So we put that on our website really to help people just get more comfortable with what a deal looks like. That way, 
when we're ready to talk to them about a deal, they have more context. So that was something that we have, and it's still available right now for your listeners. If they want to check it out, they can go to casmancapital.com slash sample deal. But things like that really help us connect with our audience. So really taking yourself out of it and what you want to get and focusing on the other user. What do they want? What do they need? What's missing? What is not there right now? And how can you provide real value to them? That's really the key to kind of growing your audience, growing your influence, but then also letting people get to know you, your personality, and who you are at your core. Uh, because some people would say, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do that. Or if I do that, I'm going to charge for it. And I think that, again, you can start to get a sense of um, the character side of things as well by the way people come across as social and through different platforms. No, that's amazing. And, and, and the, the theme you're going to hear over and over again, when anybody talks about in this industry, about how to build your network, about how to attract capital or attract deals and all that, the word you hear over and over and over again is value, right? And, and I know you mentioned a couple of times in, in that last segment that you were talking there. I mean, it really is about delivering value, you know, thinking from the investor's perspective, what, what do they want? What do they want to see? What do they want to learn about? And that's funny, it was actually on your website yesterday. But yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, well, I've signed up for your, your sample deal package. I, have to, I was thinking I have to review that because I want to see what kind of value you're putting out there. But that, that's awesome. It's stuff like that. And I know some people might call it a lead magnet, but it's, it's a way to kind of, you know, uh, attract people and, and give them something that they want. I mean, I've even heard some people talk about when they're, when they're providing value and the content they deliver is almost asking the question, well, should I be giving this away? Like this is valuable stuff. This is stuff that took me years to learn or hours to create or days, you know, like it's, it's almost to that extent um, that you, you need to be delivering value, like almost questioning yourself, should I be giving this out? Are these all my secret? Is this my secret sauce? So I want to ask you now about, you know, the importance of building um, if you're a, if you're wanting to scale your business and raise capital about building your database and your investor list and how do you manage that? Can you can you talk about the importance of that? Yeah, r- real quick before I do, I want to just to your point on value, because you're spot on I me. Mean, so many people are talking about value and giving value. And that's the way to win. And I think the context there is the value is not in your eyes. The value is in the user's eyes. And that question you said, I think is spot on almost to the point where you're saying, should I be giving this away, you know? And I, tr- I struggled with that with the sample deal because it was, it took one, it took a lot of work for me to figure out, you know, everything. And there, there were no answers to those questions. I hired a mentor, I read the books, I spent thousands of dollars to gain all of the knowledge, not to mention the 15 years of marketing experience as well. So to put that together and give it away in a, in a free offering in exchange for an email address, Man, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot, you know, um, but I think you really have to think about the value from that perspective to say, is this something that would be enticing? And if I were a user that fit in the word you might hear is avatar, but that consumer database, that consumer, uh, um, you know, avatar, would I want this? Would I be willing to give my email address for this information? Would I be satisfied? And you can't stop there. It has to be in what I want to continue to receive more information and to engage at a deeper level, you know, with this individual in exchange for this information, right? Because they they expect you to continue to send emails. So that's a little bit of an exchange that takes place. So when it comes to in, in building the investor database, I think you have to have a similar mentality. How are you serving your investors? Because ultimately, there are multiple people who can provide value, who can provide a deal. Um, it, it really is, I don't want to call it a commodity, but 
if someone is purely just looking for returns on their investment, they can get that in a lot of different places. So the question is, why would they invest with you? Why do they want to invest with you? And what can you do to earn their loyalty as a brand? Not as a person so much, but as a brand. In the same way that Nike has built their brand presence and people are willing to pay a premium to put a swoosh logo on their feet as opposed to you know three stripes or, or something else. Um, that's the way you really need to be thinking about building your brand and your investor relations. So um, it's one thing to have a contact, but you really do need to cultivate that relationship. Um, you started asking about the database as well, right? So the people that you have that you've come that you've come across, you need to be able to to track and to capture and funnel all of those connections. So how do you do that? You can either create an Excel document. You can get a CRM management system, so something like uh, Active Campaign or Salesforce or PipeDrive. Um, there are different CRM systems that are out there, but you sign up for one of them where you can put in all of your contacts and then you figure out how frequently you communicate with them. You know, you understand who who's ready to invest right now, who is, you know, still needing more information to get comfortable, who's still learning. And you start to understand what kind of information each group needs. And you want to just consistently stay engaged with that audience. So that's something that we work with our clients on, our coaching clients, on how to kind of create their database, as well as how to nurture those relationships so that when someone is ready for an investment opportunity, you have the deal set up and ready to go, but you're not calling everybody you ever met because you've already organized those relationships based on the information they've given you. And you already know who's ready to invest and who may be interested versus the people who they probably still need a little bit more information or time to get, whether it be a personal situation or more knowledge or whatever the case may be, to get more comfortable and ready for investing. Right. And you brought up an important concept there from, you know, you mentioned the word funnel and, and the way that the funnel kind of works is, you know, you got a broad base, a customer base or, or potential investors that um, you're speaking to at a, and the further you get down the funnel, the more qualified they become, the more they've been engaged and cultivated and, and, and closer they are to potentially investing in one of your deals. So that's an important concept. Um, could you, could you talk about, I know you mentioned nurture and cultivate, like how are you going to, to do that? Like what systems are you putting in place and how do you actually engage with your, your database to, to nurture them and move them, you know, down that funnel? Yeah. I mean, I'll speak at a high level, right? So let's say, um, let's say you have a, a website and you get a hundred visitors a month, right? So that's pretty, pretty basic, right? hundred visitors a month out of those hundred people, they've landed on your website. Okay. They, they've come for something. So let's say out of those 125 people sign up for your email list. Okay. So that's a 25% conversion, which is actually pretty good. Uh, but let's say you get 25 people to sign up for your, your, um, your newsletter. From there, you send it out to those 25 people. Let's say only 10 open it up. Okay. So 10 of those people open it up and let's say you're ready to, you know, have an investment and five people say, hey, they're interested out of those five people, two people invest. Okay. So that funnel, as you see it go from 100 to 25 to 10 to five to two, that would be kind of a conversion funnel of, you know, how you're getting your leads. So at each step within the funnel, you can ask yourself, what can I do to grow this bucket? So at the 100, how can I drive more traffic to the website? 
in the first place? How can I get more people in, right? Um, and those are the marketing things, things like this, being a podcast guest, right? So me coming on your show, I'm going to reach a new audience that maybe, maybe hasn't heard of me. Maybe these people come to my website and they get to learn more, right? So that's one of the tactics that you can do to drive more traffic to your website. So you look at things like that. You can do some paid advertising. You can post on social media. You can create content. There's a whole host of things you can do, right? But that's trying to drive that 100% number higher. How do you grow the funnel? As you get to the conversion, all right, what do we do when they get there? You know, how do we get them to give me their email address? What can we offer them? You've mentioned the lead magnet, which is the kind of the marketing term for it, but what lead magnet can we give them? What kind of value can we give them? Another way to think about this is what are they looking for when they come to my website? Because if they came to the website, there was a reason. They're looking for something, whether it was a podcast episode, whether it was a sample deal, whether it was a blog post, something. So what is it that they're looking for? Did they get it or not? And if not, how can we do a better job of, of providing that information? And then again, how do we continue to draw, capture their email address so we can stay engaged with them? So setting up something like Pixels on your website is another fairly simple thing. And Pixels, what that allows you to do, you can do Facebook Pixels, where if you have it on your website, it tracks the people who comes to your website. So even though I don't know who you are, if you decided not to give me your email address, I could then retarget you when you go to Facebook. And I could send you something, for instance, I could do something where, uh, whether it be the sample deal or something else, I could then offer that back up to you since you've already come to my website. So that's another way to re-engage with people so I can try to recapture you there. So going down to the, the email piece or the newsletter piece, you know, what am I sending my communications? Again, I talked about those three buckets. So first of all, it's understanding who you are. Maybe you just like signing up for stuff, you know? Um, maybe you're ready to invest and you're waiting to see an investment. If you don't have an investment right away, then I am no longer a value to you. So it just kind of depends. But there you want to figure out what is the individual looking for and how do you provide that value? How do you create that content that they're looking for? How do you help keep them engaged? What kind of information can you provide for them that will be valuable to them on a consistent basis? And then lastly, on the deal side, you know, obviously you have to understand what they look for in a deal, understand who the deal is for. And if you've done all those things correctly, then you'll be able to drive more sales and get more investors. No, that's awesome. That's a lot of great tips there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, and, and get your insight into if this is actually the case. Is, is there a, a separation between marketing and branding? Kind of get your insight into what does branding mean and how does branding play into this business and how you build influence uh, with your target audience? Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I see branding as more of the way the world sees you. Um, so branding is the way you've established yourself. It's the way the world sees you, uh, going back to the Nike thing. It's, you know, that's the brand. The brand is strong and that has its own persona that, you know, something that, you know, we place the value on it. Um, the marketing is more of the, the actual strategies and tactics that they, they execute, but the branding supersedes that, right? The branding is above that. The branding is what everything leads to. So your marketing, your advertising campaigns, everything you do, it, it funnels up to the brand image that consumers are going to have for you. So once you have a strong brand, though, um, it's powerful because it's hard to break a strong brand. 
um, you know, there's, I don't know about you, but um, we, we could take something like cereal, you know, I started eating frosted flakes and um, these, I don't know, honey nut Cheerios when I was a kid. And there's no way I'm going to try something different, you know, than those two. You can't shake the image of what frosted flakes and Tony materials has yeah you can't shake that for me right it's it's completely it's cemented in my head i haven't seen a marketing campaign for frosted flakes in probably a decade i'm sure they still do some marketing but i haven't seen it right um and that's really the branding going back to you know the the, the nike or apple i mean once you cement your brand you have a place in someone's heart and that's what you want to do with your investors with your customers you want to build a relationship where they trust you they know you they like you and they want to do business with you and they're not necessarily looking around for other opportunities now some people may still look for other opportunities but they still you still want them to be your first choice you still want them to hold you in high regard and that's really the point of branding marketing is really just the tactics and strategies that you employ to try to build your brand in the first place no, that's a great explanation. And uh, yeah, these these big big brands, these big companies, like they they're valued in the billions. This intangible asset of just their brand, and and they they do so much just to protect it and make sure that they you know keep that brand that they've built up over many many years. Because like you said, you're you're still impacted, you know, from your childhood of of eating this cereal and being attached to this character or this this cereal, this brand that they've built. So that's so important. What are some ways? nowadays in, in in our real estate investing businesses that we can really let's say leverage other people's brands or leverage other people's influence to help even uh, scale up or build our own brands uh you're doing it right now um you know one of the things i tell people all the time i'll go back to the five c's i mentioned right the second was credibility and if you are starting out and you're trying to build your credibility one of the best things you can do is borrow credibility from other people so me coming on this show, right, provides a little bit of credibility for, for you and for your show. And it's the same thing we did when we launched our show. You know, you get great guests and you get to borrow a little bit of credibility for the show. The bigger the guests, the more the credibility. credibility. Um, you know, if you're able to secure a real big name guest, you know, someone from Shark Tank or, you know, a, a number one selling author or someone like that, that really makes you a, a pretty credible podcaster, right? And I'm just talking about podcasting at this point, but that makes you a credible podcaster if you're able to secure a big time guest like that, right? So the credibility is a, is a big piece if you're starting out and understanding who you surround yourself with and the different ways of doing it are going to help you stand out. So as a real estate investor, I think the biggest thing you can do, if you're starting out, you're brand new, you've never bought anything, the best thing you can do is go find people who have a lot of experience and get them on your team, whether that is your property manager, whether that's your contractor, um, your lenders, but, you know, a, a mentor or coach, uh, but get people on your team who have the experience and credibility that can lift you up because that will help make everybody more comfortable. And it's not just a facade. It's not just a, a ploy. The fact of the matter is, you are more credible if you're able to attract these individuals, you know, or I'm not just going to come out and be on anybody's show just because they sent an email. You know, I want to make sure that they understand, you know, the conversation, that they're serious about it. Anyone who's listening to my show, by the way, I already know my show is not a beginner level show. So I already know that there's a sense of credibility, even just as a listener, because it's not the 
you know, the, the one-on-one how to start a real estate. And we're talking about pretty advanced topics when it comes to apartment syndication and marketing and building a brand and SEO and things like that. So if people are getting value out of that, I already know from that level that they're sophisticated enough to understand the business side of things. So you really start to surround yourself from that perspective and that allows you to build credibility and allows you to grow and scale. Wow, a lot of a lot of great info there and uh, makes me feel even more honored to have you on my show for letting me borrow some of your credibility because I mean, like I said, you have a great show and I've listened to it. You've, you've added tremendous value and um, very thrilled to have you on the show and, and so you can provide uh, my audience some value. So yeah, once again, really appreciate that. Um, and, and just knowing the focus of your show, I, wa- I want to switch topics a little bit. Um, and knowing that you like to ask your guests the focus of your show, target market insights. Like what, what markets are you t- targeting? What are you focusing on? What do you like? What are you seeing in these markets? So can you tell our audience a little bit about what markets you're focusing on and what do you like about these markets right now? Yeah, so I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, we really like this market, and I like a two-hour radius of Cincinnati. So not the entire two-hour radius, but uh, a lot of the markets within a two-hour radius have a really good story. So I'll start with Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati is home to uh, five, I'm sorry, it's eight Fortune 500 companies. Um, Cincinnati is a, a really stable market that is seeing good population growth, good job growth. As a matter of fact, it just jumped up from number 42 to number 11 in a job growth by a, a Wall Street Journal um, survey last year or this year. Um, so it's seen great job growth there. We've got the Amazon hub coming that's being built. It'll come out next year. But there's a lot of good things here, and it's a very diverse economy. Um, outside of Cincy, I love uh, Columbus, Ohio. I love Indianapolis. And I love Northern Kentucky for a lot of the same reasons. Those markets are more growth markets where they're seeing really good population growth, really good job growth great job diversification, and uh, you're seeing rents in the multifamily space go up as well. So we really like the strong fundamentals, and I really like to look at the core markets and core fundamentals and invest where there's a great story and there's upside potential. Uh, I'm born and raised in Cleveland. I love Cleveland as a city, as a multifamily market. My one hesitation is they're still struggling to actually grow from a population standpoint. Um, The core in a lot of major cities are seeing population growth, but that has more to do with young people deciding to live downtown or near kind of the urban core than actually attracting new people to the region. So that's something I would just keep an eye out on as you look at your rent projections and things like that. But we typically like to see areas that we feel are really confident um, for growth and sustainable growth. Uh, We also invest in the Southeast region, um, Texas, Florida, Texas isn't really Southeast, but (laughs) Texas, Florida, uh, the Carolinas, we like a lot, Georgia as well. Um, So really just looking for those fundamentals I mentioned, you know, looking at population growth, looking at job growth, uh, looking at job or industry diversification. And then we want to look at how easy is it to do business, you know, from a multifamily standpoint, you know, is it okay to do evictions or are we going to be stuck with somebody for six months if they can't pay rent? Um, You know, what is the business climate? And our rents moving up is demand going up, you know, for, for anyone starting out who's listening, everything is like, dude, that is a lot. Uh, here's, here's the real simple version of it. Okay. All I'm ever trying to do is I'm trying to make an educated prediction of whether or not demand in the future is going to be higher than it is today. And all of those metrics that I mentioned, they are just ways for me to justify that prediction. Because 
you could have population going up, but if the builders and developers are building so many new apartment complexes that there's not enough, um, uh, there's not enough new people to take in all those apartment buildings, then you're going to be in a situation with your property where you're going to have to lower rents to attract them because all of those new properties are going to have to lower rents to attract them. So we're trying to look at all those kind of factors just to understand are rents going up? Is demand going to be higher in the future than it is today? Or is it stable or is it going to be going down? That's really all we're trying to understand when we look at all those metrics. Awesome. So a lot of great insight into, into the target markets you're focusing on. So really appreciate you sharing that. Coming to the end of the show here, I want to uh, take it into our final four questions here where we just, you know, I'll let you give some short to the point answers to these questions. So what is your favorite real estate or business book? Oh, uh, you know, um, my favorite real estate book is uh, the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fearless. It's a phenomenal read and a lot of great information there. Favorite business book is, well, it's not really a business book. It's probably more of a self-development book but it's Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's just a phenomenal book if you're looking at how to make uh, tiny changes in your, in your life to achieve your goals and just kind of get the life you want. It's a really great book to help you understand what changes you can make today to make a big difference in your life. Oh, that's great. I haven't heard of that one, but uh, I'm reaching over. I know my audience can't see this because we're on, we're on video, but uh, I'm just going to pull this up. It's sitting on my... Uh... <laughs> sitting on my desk beside me, the best ever apartment syndication book as well. I love that book. Um, Joe Fairless added a tremendous amount of value. So yeah, I can resonate with that one as well. So um, what is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing? Um, I wish I knew that you really could scale the way people in those other books kept telling me you could. Um, you know, you. I was reading that your first deal could be a 200 unit. I was like, get out of here. You guys are full of crap. And they didn't really give you the details, but if you were, if I was open to partnerships and if I was more open-minded to working with others and maybe giving away a little bit of control uh, to learn and to, to, to scale, that would have been a phenomenal way to grow. So just really being more open-minded to how to scale doing bigger deals earlier. Awesome. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate? Uh, I've got this journal that I, I should call it a planner. It's not really a journal. I have a planner that I use every day now and I jot down the most important things I need to accomplish. Um, I have a little bit of a routine that includes my affirmations and prayers and things like that. Um, so just really sticking to those things have really helped me uh, stay on track with the goals and the, the progress that I need to make in the business. Awesome. And finally here, what do you do for fun? Oh man, fun. You know, I have a lot of, well, I shouldn't say a lot. My kids take up a lot of my free time. So it's usually doing something with the kids. I really, my oldest son is five. He's about to be six and uh, he's really athletic, extremely athletic and really into sports. So he loves to throw the football around. So that's something we do pretty often is uh, just go in the backyard and throw the football around. So that's something I like to do to, to relax my mind a little bit and then hang with my wife, you know, and the family, just watching movies and things like that as well. That's great. So keeping uh, family close to heart, that's awesome. So I'm just going to close it off here. Um, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in multifamily investing, you know, I do have the sample deal available. So I will say the first thing is check out that sample deal. You can go to casmancapital.com slash sample deal. 
and check that out. If you have a specific question or want to follow up, you can email me, john at kasmancapital.com. And then you can also check me out on LinkedIn or Instagram. Uh, there, my handle is at jkasman. LinkedIn is, I think, John. I don't know. You can just search John Kasman. I'm sure I'll pop up there. All right, great. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show here today, John. I uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your knowledge. You got a lot of wisdom in marketing and and uh, thanks for just sharing a piece of that with, with uh, my audience today. So uh, thanks again, John. Absolutely, Marcus. Thank you for having me on. And I really appreciate coming on your show today. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, I want to just say, you know, we talk about credibility and value exchange that goes both ways. So, you know, when we do these kind of things and do the podcast, it's a lot of value for me to get a chance to speak in front of a new audience. So I, I value the ability to do that. I'm glad that you were able to, to, to get me on and for us to, to do this today. So thank you for having me as a guest on your show today. No, it was my pleasure. So uh, yeah, no, thanks again and uh, talk to you soon. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five-star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.